Hey, Helen, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Hey, Rich. Pleasure, as always. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to this week's six session. Hopefully free of technical errors this week. It was a little bit of a shambles last week, and I hope everybody can forgive me for that. Today's episode, I get to hang out with an old friend, as I've known her for a very long time. Not that she is that old. Fairly <laughs> old. She's someone who definitely believes in the power of growth through content and is acutely aware of just how much shitty content is out there at the moment. And that's exactly why she started her business, to try and combat, combat the influx of paint-by-numbers, SEO-baiting, B2B content, stuff that no one reads, but businesses keep producing. I don't know, when I write these intros, for some reason, I find it hilarious to try and stumble myself up with these words. <laughs> She's done yards in content from PR to marketing to entrepreneur and coach. Having worked with her across a number of clients and even producing some of the earliest Six and Flow blogs, one of which is still getting some of our highest traffic, I know that she understands how to get inside your business and produce something that will resonate with audiences. Today's chat will give you insight into how top tier content agencies are delivering content driven growth, or possibly you're going to be presented with 30 minutes of two old mates just catching up. <laughs> yeah. These chats are designed to be short and sweet, but hopefully full of insight. If today's isn't that's entirely Helen's fault and you can reach out to her directly and let her know oh and just a reminder it's definitely unfiltered which is the bit that makes it fun for me joining us all the way from Manchester which is just on the road in fact I am in Manchester it's my pleasure to introduce you to Helen Dibble founder and managing director of incredible content Helen welcome thank you so much that was such an awesome intro Probably the nicest, nicest sequence of words I've ever directed at you. I think it is. I, genuinely, I wasn't expecting it. Uh, thank you for having me. It's and, awesome to be here. And I have to say, you are through and through a content person because when I sent you an outline of the introduction, the next time I logged into it, there were comments and amendments to everything I've written, despite no. nobody ever seeing this other than me. <laughs> well, you know, it's felt incredible, right? And I won't have to do that. <laughs> um, so to start with, how was 2021 for you? How's 2021? Better than 2020. Better than 2020. Um, <laughs> That's not a high benchmark. <laughs> no, it was good. It was good. Um, the type of work we are delivering now is really different to 2019. So instead of doing like small little bits, we're doing bigger pieces. And I think that's probably something to do with the maturity of the marketing teams we're working with, but also maybe to do with our offering as well and how we position ourselves. Um, and I got this office, which means that personally, everything is much better in the house because we have space. <laughs> so yeah, it was good. How was your 2021? Wild. Um, the busiest I've ever been. Um, really? And I mean, it had the inevitable highs and lows, um, yeah. but it was like a good team and the, the, the team has grown and everything is kind of moving in the right direction. So it's we, we've just actually had our 2022 kickoff and we've talked about it being 2021 was much more of a foundational year for us. We didn't, it's not like we didn't grow. We still, I think we did like maybe 50% growth or something like that. But it's this year we're looking, I think at like 100% growth. It's much, much bigger what we're aiming for this year, um, which is exciting. So less about me. Um, what's your main business? What does Incredible do? So we do the words is the easiest way. And I know I'm talking to marketers, so you guys are going to get this immediately. We do the words. Um, I have a decentralized or distributed or freelance team, depending how you want to talk about it. So we can connect a business to expert copywriters really easily. But we also have a lot of, we talk about the think and the ink. So we do a lot of the thinking as well. So that can be your brand communications, like your foundational stuff, um, vision, mission, values, tone of voice is becoming increasingly important um content strategy and workshop facilitations because a lot of what we do is actually 
facilitating thinking to get people to understand how to take that gold in their heads and their businesses and turn it into something else. So a lot of workshops and then a lot of ink, a lot of writing. And that can be everything from an article to a white paper to a tech report, scripts, all sorts. Think, think in the ink, you are such a marketer. I know. <laughs> I don't know if it's cheesy or not. We've just tweaked our proposition and think in the ink. That put the think before the ink and all that stuff is where we're going because as we're no doubt going to talk about if you don't have to think the ink is shit and there's no ah who wins the who wins the award for swearing first have you sworn yet <laughs> probably not me shit <laughs> anyway um so how how do you define strategic comms right because it, it is one of those things that people talk about and i think everybody went from content marketing which was kind of everybody was like oh this this is kind of born out of seo you do content you get better rankings you get better rankings people visit your site people visit your site you get leads blah blah blah, blah. but content way more than that now it's not it's not just churning out shit anymore which is a big part of what we're going to talk about how do you define the kind of comms that you do how is it different from content marketing as was it's not transactional i think that's probably one of the key indicators that this isn't Here's a thing, go and write this. Give me, give me listicles. It's not filler content. Don't get me started on Lorem Ipsum. Um, it's, got, it's got thought behind it. So it's often the result of a, a marketing team. I, and when I say mature marketing team, I don't mean necessarily a marketing team that's been together for ages, but somebody or a group of people who have a deep understanding that the words really matter. <laughs> and they understand that that is threaded through everything that they're doing. So strategic comms is having a long-term plan at the, at the end at the, in a really simple way it's being able to go this is what i want to be doing by september of this year and this is why and this is how we're going to make it happen how would you define it well, i'm not the strategic communicator <laughs> nice uh, however i would i would say like where you've positioned yourself like being being i was going to say think based and then obviously english is failing me but being thought based and actually thinking about what the end goal of that content is past the driving traffic we think about it uh, i would say strategic communications for us would be much more positioned around using communications at different stages within the journey but also then making sure that it's doing the right thing at those different stages of the journey so nice. it's not it's moving away from that focusing on driving the top of the funnel stuff and i'm thinking very much in like the mofu tofu bofu type like hubspot inboundy type model when i talk about this but it's looking about how you've got different state uh, types of content and different yeah. messaging but still tied back to the overall strategy and tone voice like you were talking about linking all that together so that it then drives that growth across that that funnel but then also it goes past that funnel right so like you must have seen all the stuff around flywheel and all that kind of crap not crap it's obviously very valid but using that content in i would say strategic communications now using the like the customer as part of those strategic comms way more as well and that's to influence what you're writing about but also to enable them to be able to move into that kind of champion type mode um, Absolutely. that's I, shooting from the hip that's probably where i'd start i like that i think i'd add to that that strategic communications now goes beyond the marketing department it has to influence hr in particular and I think it has to influence. It's probably getting more and more into sustainability as well because the communications around that are critical for the business. So strategic communications isn't just about the sales anymore. It's about your, your talent hiring strategy. It's about the sustainability strategy. Okay, so when you say it has to like engage with HR, so you're talking about like employer brand recruitment strategy, that side of things. Yeah, we're okay. getting so a lot when of... I, when I... 
Sorry. We're getting a lot of work in that space at the moment. It's the HR department demanding really good copy to articulate why the house somebody should go and work with them. The big, res the great resignation and all that. But then also, you've got to talk diversity and inclusion. You need to talk differently, and that needs to come from your DNI approach. Needs to be strategic. So you need to have your strategic comms attached to that. We're probably looking at some slightly different ways from the marketing to the HR to the sustainability. But I think there's you've got to have a long-term view very clear reasons why and like you say filter through all the different touch points so what did you found incredible because you were you were a marketing manager in like a, a couple of great like well-known agencies you were working as a consultant you were working with us why why found a content agency why did you create incredible honestly i really fell out of love with marketing i really did in 2011 when i went traveling i hated it and then HubSpot kind of kicked in. Was it around 2011? I think it was around about then. It sort of like, it, it, it gave me this framework where I was like, oh my God, content, inbound content, this, is, this makes so much sense. And I always wanted to be, do a, be writing. I, that's what I wanted to do. And I had an English degree that I wasn't really using. I wasn't in a great, it was a great agency. It's an even better agency now, but at the time there was no uh, career path for me at all. So I was like, fuck this. Um, what do I want to do to make myself happy? And when I went traveling, I met one of the greatest copywriters by chance in New Zealand. And she gave me this opportunity to write and I loved it. And when I came back, I did flounder probably for about two to three years trying to figure out how to do it. And in the end, it's been a constant pursuit of how can I achieve my potential and how can I help other people achieve their potential? And this writing has kind of always been the core of that. Um, and I'm really fucking good at it. <laughs> so why not do more of it, right? <laughs> All right. So this is probably a controversial question. I'm hoping it is, but it might not be. You could just friendly agree on this. It's been ran down our throats for well over a decade now. Is content really king? Um, I think only if your distribution is queen. So your content doesn't do jack shit unless you do something with it. We've just written, I think, four or five 4,000 word white papers. They're hefty pieces of content. There is a significant cost to that. And the client, quite rightly, they had a plan to do this for six weeks, six months. And went, no, we need to get an ROI from this first. And quite rightly paused because they need to make that content work really, really hard. And their, their distribution wasn't ready for the content that we were creating. We got them up to speed, got their engine running, it was brilliant. We're like, whoa, too fast, put the brakes on. We need an ROI. Um, We've, run, we've done landing pages and even direct mailers, which I'm really passionate about, a little bit of direct mail, I think it can really cut through. But if you, if you can't distribute it correctly, it's not gonna get the results for you. So our words mean nothing if people aren't reading them. So, so content is king, but only if queen, uh, only if delivery is clean. But if you think yeah. about that in terms of a chessboard, so yeah. the king is a fucking useless piece to have on a board and the queen does all the work. So therefore, should it should the queen not be more valuable in that process? Should the content be queen? No, should no, distribution does the hard work. No, you confuse me. I don't know enough about chess to have this conversation. Um, <laughs> what does the rook do? <laughs> so, um, so I I agree with you. Like, con content is super important in as long as it's getting to the right people and hopefully at the right times, right? What I would, what I do start to question is like how are we defining content? 
So like content, content to me is like written to like blogs, white papers, all of that falls into that. But also, and actually more importantly, in my opinion, now you have short format video, you have long format video, you have like social, and I, I think even like tweets and like LinkedIn posts, I all put, I put all of that in that kind of content basket. So I think where, where I see, like, I almost see it as like a blurring of the lines now. So I, I personally, I couldn't tell you the last time I read a blog post that wasn't something that I'm like reviewing for Sick and Flow or doing something with because it's just not how I consume content. I don't have time. I don't like it. It's not my preferred format. But what I will do is read a lot of LinkedIn posts, a longer format stuff on LinkedIn comparatively, um, like tweets, things like that. That's where I'm getting a lot of my information through videos. I think that's where the blurring between is that is that fully content or is that fully or is that more like a half half it's distribution and content so that's where i question like can't can't do any of it without some sort of content but i think there's also a blurring of the lines with what's content and what's channel that's such a good point rich i totally agree content isn't defined it's not just writing it is everything you've mentioned there i consume content in a really way you give me a long white paper I'm not going to read it. However, there's something about the authority of knowing a company has a white paper that gives them a big tick in the box. So I think that that's really interesting from a psychological point of view that nobody's going to read the fuck up, but you need to produce it anyway. Um, I think people need to be looking more at chopping up and, you know, you make the turkey dinner and then you make you, you carve it up. That's long been around, but I still think it holds water today and repurposing, repurposing, repurposing into your videos, your audio, all the other way around, right? Because it's it's now arguably a lot easier to create a video to then push it into audio and written content afterwards. I think that's uh, another way of carving it up. But um, a great way of looking at that is so this this LinkedIn live. So we're doing this live. This is easy for us to produce. Like I gave you a couple of like directional questions that we're going to chat about. When we're, we're going to chat shit for 30 odd minutes, this video will then, it goes out on those, uh, like the live channels. But then from that, I then have the video to then do stuff with after. I'll, we'll cut that up into social snippets. We'll also um, send it out to like an email newsletter list that like within our own channels at the same time. And yours is actually going to be the first. It's going to be an experiment that we run on Monday is going to send out a LinkedIn newsletter from me to my audience saying like with the six sessions and it'll be not not a transcription of this but it'll be the video uh, the video and some of like the key talking points oh, and cool. inviting people to then, um sign up for like the next ones and what we've done there is from three minutes worth of work is i've then created probably the best part of 50 avenues of like content and distribution and like and it's not just filler it's stuff that yeah. we can actually give value back into and people actually think we are talking complete shit yeah. which is totally fine as well next question yeah. volume or quality what's going to have a bigger impact on somebody's business quality okay but where's is there a tipping point between that i agree with you i'm not i'm not um disagreeing <sighs> with that at all but is there a tipping point because one one white paper is that better than 20 blogs or is that better than like SEO bait to get people to the white to, to the website first. Like, is there is there a staging of that? So we start with the shitty content, get people to the site, then we produce the good content to actually try and convert them. Or is there do we go in with that the good content and hope that if we build it, they will come type process kicks in? 
okay, so I never want to see shitty content. Mm-hmm. And what kind of, are we talking about written content right now? Or are we talking about video content or any other kind of content? You can choose. Okay, we're talking about written content. Yep. Oh, it totally depends on your audience. Because if your audience aren't going to read a white paper, don't create it. If they're going to read, if they need 20 blogs to get to your, I don't believe anyone needs 20 blogs to make somebody, if you write the right article and you know who you're writing to, I don't believe you need 20 of them to get people to your site. I'm always going to There, is, there is actually an SEO tipping point that is like a rule of thumb is you write 100 blogs, you'll start getting good SEO traffic back. That's like a rule of thumb that we start to look okay. at. I mean, it is finger in the air type shit, but yeah. from an SEO basis, a good place to start. Okay. So write 100 blogs. Those 100 blogs still need to be good because if you're... Yeah, I agree. Like, if those 100 blogs are poorly written... They don't convert. Your audience has so little tolerance. Like, and I'm not talking grammar here, although I think that's really important, but just like your headline, your opener, the level of authority and sophistication with which you can write, like all of those things are absent in shitty content. Shitty content is junior. Nobody's, it, it's talking down to your audience by accident because they're trying to understand it themselves. That's shitty content. Don't do that to your audience. You, you need that quality in there, even if you need to write a hundred of them don't compromise on equality. That doesn't mean you necessarily have to spend an absolute fortune. You need to find the right writers. But um, yeah, I'm always going to say that though. Don't, qual- don't compromise I, I would always say go go with quality. So if you if you think that you have the knowledge base and skill sets to write a really, really good piece of content, like a white paper or a super long form blog post or whatever, go with that because the the benefit of doing that is you can very easily cut that up into other pieces of content so you could yeah. turn a white paper into several blog posts quite quite easily but also it might not be like seo is probably not the the channel that you need to be chasing startups so if you write a good piece of content and you know who that's there for you've got the option to start reaching out on social you can email people like it's it's something worthwhile that you can start to engage in other parts of the process so i would always go for me i would say quality first yeah um, i get quality and i think if you've got quality it's more likely to be evergreen you're not going to be ashamed of it in a couple of years because or a couple of weeks because it's it's poor yeah well and, so the the blog post that you wrote for us that um i mentioned earlier was the one that you did around psychographics so right. um so like psychographics versus demographics and super like i mean that was written in 2015 still gets a lot of traffic back through and it's still it's a blog i think we might have updated it once or twice but it's the basis of what it's talking about has an evergreen value to it Mm -hmm. that's amazing yeah all right (laughs) there's always been a debate around external entities delivering content versus internal teams delivering it because the internal team effectively living and breathing day-to-day the company like you can't replicate that kind of exposure how do you, as an agency, how do you get inside a business and really get to grips with what they do, who they are, and what they need to deliver? Some of it is process and some of it is personality. Um, yeah. Process does some of the heavy lifting, but a lot of it is we're going in and we need to know why this is important, who cares about it, who, who we need to win over, and then we get to understand the business. So we're on a series of workshops Sometimes a client might come to us and they're so mature, they have all this stuff and they go, this is everything you need because we know how to work with copywriters. Here's everything you need and it's lovely. Sometimes it's like, okay, you haven't quite figured out your your mission, your vision. Or your... Actually, 
it's more like values and tone of voice and a brand document that says this is who we are and this is how you speak as us that gives us some of the most important stuff and if they haven't done any audience research then we desperately need that as well so we'll go in and run workshops to figure out all of that stuff the bit around I, I want to know how if they've worked with freelancers I want to know what they want this relationship to look like because we're not inside their business and we need to know what matters otherwise we're going to skip it we're not going to pay attention to it we it's little things like we work in google do they want word documents because things like that can really slow down your content process the yeah, you'll know this, Rich, like getting a content engine up and running can be really hard work and the operations required to do that. And the amount of time the client has to commit to that is, is quite significant. So what can we do to make that really easy and to stop these bumps in the road? Um, I've been on a call this week with senior people in the business and they're like, yeah, Helen, we're really interested. I'm, do- I'm now doing an audience, audience insight work. And the, the guy's going, really looking forward to hearing what you can, what you can do for us. And I'm like, you haven't been sold to you haven't been brought into this process um what's going on here <laughs> and having to take a step back talk to the agency talk to the client and understand making sure everybody's brought on board that's really really important i think one of the biggest benefits of having an external team is it's unlikely you're going to keep a high caliber journalist interested in your company for a long period of time in-house the other reason is that if you write writers who are exposed to lots of different industries and lots of different environments, writing styles are better, in my opinion. They, they've got more to bring to the table. They've got more depth and dimension to their writing. Um, but it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone. How do you? So one of the questions that we've always come up against, and I think, and like we've been guilty of it in the past as well, is how do you balance that debate between cost? the client versus ROI and value and that kind of clients will come to you like we've had it and I'm sure you have countless times where they say yeah but I could go and get that produced by somebody else for 50 quid like Uh, how do you balance out that this is highbrow good content that is strategically aligned versus that which probably a tenth of the price I'm just picking numbers out of the air and they can get 10 times how do you handle that conversation I haven't had to handle it for a really long time because people get it. And I'm really lucky in that, but I definitely had it 100%. Um, and actually often the pushback now is we'll hire in-house, which totally works for some people, totally doesn't for others. Um, there are about 30% extra overheads, I think, if, you, if you're going to hire in-house. But it's, sometimes it works because you need the closeness of the team, whatever. Um, I would say that the person writing for £50 is working a below minimum wage if they're in the UK, 100%. We think it takes to write a really great article, unless it's super short, you're probably looking at a day. Maybe there's an economy of scales, scale if you're writing several for the client and you know you get used to it and you write faster. Um, so I might play that card, you know, what is this, but what are the living conditions of this person? It's below market rate. Um, the other thing that's happening in the UK especially is that writers are refusing to write for 50 pounds. Um, it's not happening so much anymore um, and also when it has happened people have often come back or sort of come around again later because they've learned that the cheap content doesn't do the job of the more expensive content how do you handle it? What you, to be honest we don't even have that conversation very often anymore because it, it's part of a like a strategic mix the, yeah. the content is seen as part of the mix and a lot of the thinking is done prior so it's not it's not a question that has come up 
um, often. Um, I mean, in the past, we have said to clients, if you think you can get the quality done and at that price, get it. Give us the content, we'll yeah. use it. And if it's yeah. not good, then it's going to kill the campaign and that's your risk to take. Yeah. So I think yeah. outlining outlining the, the risk versus reward. What is the going rate for a blog these days? Like if you were to just jump out and be like, we're going to pump out a blog, what would you expect to pay a writer for an 800 word blog? I would so copywriter, freelance copywriter day rates in the UK, your average is, I think the average is just under 350 as of 2020, maybe 2021. So 350 is your average day rate. Um, yeah. Your journalists, your really good people are up to 800,000 pounds a day and they're worth it, but you have to have the right, you know, you have to have the right. 800,000 pounds a day. 800 to 1,000. Oh, Got it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm in the wrong industry. Oh. When you start working with a client and digging into their content strategy, where do you see the most friction? Um, it's that stuff of getting it up to speed. Nobody anticipates. We, we need to talk to you. We need to figure out what's going on. And I think often people think content, I oh, would just fob it off. But actually, <laughs> writers want writers are nosy buggers. They want to know everything and they're going to interrogate you and really want to know what you want. So we do something called a copywriter's brief, which tells them everything they need. But we've gone and had to dig out that information. And people forget that. Um, the best clients and they give us these beautiful briefs and we're like well we can actually brief you and create this brief anyway but they might spend two or three days creating that over the time not full days um and it can be a time sap the other thing is stakeholders we do a lot of tech we need to speak to the tech experts to understand the technology they're creating or the engineer or the um the client services people to understand that particular issue that's going on so there's a time that's required in that team and then outside that team there's coordination piece that's where the friction is. The other thing that I think might be relevant is maybe the ops like and, and the tech that sits behind it. Sometimes I feel like if it's a really big campaign, there's probably tech that can streamline things more easily, that nobody, my end, that's not something we're seeing much in the content space. It's out there, but it's at massive scale. And there's maybe a mid-market solution that needs to come about. Okay. You run a decentralized team, What yeah. like, as a lot of people are these days. What are some of the challenges in building a business like that in this space? Um, it's never trust, and I always think it will be. It's, it's never, never trust. Um, it is a it is managing. So I have a brilliant ops person who helps me communicate between the client, me, updating people. I can't just reach over and say and, and look across the office and go, hey, this is happening. There's a lot of communication that needs to go on. Um, I, but yeah, I mean, trust is, I trust them, they trust me. It is, I have never had somebody screw me over and I always think that's what's gonna happen. Nobody's slack, um, everybody's, and that's where I always think the issue's gonna be. Is yeah, it's basically just, I sometimes I feel like I'm just doing admin instead of actually using my brain because there's so much coordination to do. <laughs> That's that's what happens. The higher up the food chain you get, the less doing you get to do. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Never expected so that. Mm. You had a great job as a marketing manager in a well-known London-based PR agency, uh, and you stacked it all in to go travelling. Pausing a career is a pretty bold move, mm. um, and something I bet a lot of people have over the last two years been thinking about and or have planned to do. What advice would you give to someone thinking about it? I'd say just do it. <laughs> I had very little plan. This was in 2011. So I haven't had a proper jo I job, I haven't been employed 
in this country since 2011. I think things are really different now. I think the way you get a job is really different. And I, I can't really add a, <laughs> offer advice on how to get a job. Starting a business is a different matter. Um, I would say just do it because the experiences you have are second to none. And you don't, I mean, mine was just, I'm, I'm fucking off, I'm just going. Um, I didn't even have a, I'm going to work or volunteer. I had no sort of holier-than-thou aspirations. I just wanted to get out of the country, get out of London and have some time to myself to do what I wanted to do. Um, if you had that time again, would you opt for more of a Rome working type strategy? So you take a laptop, you sit on the beach, you pump out some content. Or no. did you, were you just like, I'm going to go to an experience, yeah. I don't want to be anywhere near work? I and work was really different 10 years ago so it wouldn't that wasn't although I remember being in Colombia and being in this hostel really like out the way hostel and there were these couple of Americans there like yeah we work and then we move around and we work and it was like I was I remember being absolutely astonished that this was a way of life but it, so it did exist it just wasn't in my world um I was I needed the time out I really needed the time out to, to just not be working, particularly because I've fallen out of love marketing. I needed to recalibrate. So I'm I wouldn't do it again. I think I needed I think everybody needs time off all the time. <laughs> like frequently you need to take time off. Um maybe when I got to New Zealand, so I stayed there for a year, I worked in a shop and I was writing a little bit from about six months in. I was writing a bit. It was <clears throat> would I have worked more? I think if I'd known anything about business, I didn't know anything about business at the time, I might have played that differently. I think there are way more opportunities now for people to do it and to work with your laptop anywhere in the world. The one thing I find now is though, you have to be very clear about whether you're on holiday or whether you're working, because if you are doing both, you resent one or the other and it's really hard. <laughs> how did you get into the growth space? Um, so you, did an, you did an English degree. How did you then yeah. wind up in a PR agency? I literally fell into marketing. Uh, went Everyone to a career path and the salesperson stepped out in front of me from a software company and sold me this job. And I was like, okay, I'll go into And I, everybody in 2005, everyone's like, it's really hard to get a job, get the first job you can. And I got this job before I even had my results. I was just terrified, just grabbed for it. And I was customer support and marketing executive. I Googled marketing six months in. I had no fucking idea what it was. I Googled it and went, oh, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And then sort of, and I like, I mean, it's like, is English and it's psychology and people and we like all those things. So it kind of worked. Um, but I didn't, because I didn't choose it particularly and I was ignorant about it. I didn't, I think that's why I needed the time to step away to see if it was something for me. And content's definitely more for me than, con than marketing is, I think. To be fair, one of the key skills of being a marketer is being able to Google shit you don't understand. So <laughs> you so probably true. nailed the role. <laughs> and what the latest acronym means. And what, yeah. What's the, uh, what's the most important growth play for companies at the moment? I really feel people need to be aware of this growth. I say green. You've got to have your, if you want to, companies are interrogating a company's green credentials. And I think they're also interrogating the way you treat your people. So if growth marketing is looking at the whole life cycle of marketing down to how you create that masses and masses of loyalty, you've got to show loyalty to your green credentials and your people. And I think that is a really strong place to focus your content right now. And we're increasingly seeing clients wanting content in that space, wanting the specialists in sustainability, the specialists in employee engagement to be able to bring that forth. Any, I agree. The only issue I have with that is there mm. 
it feels like there is an awful lot of zeitgeist chasing with businesses going after their green and sustainability credentials, where I would hazard a guess you scratch the surface on a lot of them. I'm not saying your clients in particular, but a lot of them you scratch the surface and actually it's rhetoric and bullshit. Oh, That's, and I think, which then devalues the whole process. And then actually it gets to the point where should this really be in our, our go-to marketing proposal? Actually, like, See, this show me what's actually happening. This brings me up to one of my favorite Richwood sayings, marketers break shit. So if we do it, if we do that to green credentials, that is what will happen. We will ruin it and green credentials will be greenwashed and it will be bullshit. But when you really dig down and it's becoming easier for companies, I know, I don't know if I'm in a bubble of this, but people aren't standing for greenwashing anymore. There are more legitimate, deep, further reaching ways to be green. It's not hard. It's not hard if a company really wants to do it. They can do it. And I really think they should. Um, I think, um, yeah, uh, as long as marketers don't break shit and do it for the sake of it, we'll be all right. But you know the way this goes. So I agree with you entirely. We stand a very strong chance of it all being bullshit and then we'll need another iteration of something else. Um, but Helen, but I, Helen Dibble says that sustainability is not hard. That's what I'm going to go out there with. <laughs> I actually said that, didn't I? Brilliant. So who do you follow in the growth space? How do you keep up to date with what's going on? Inspiration, where does it come from? Um, genuinely, not blowing hot air up your ass. The stuff that you guys put out is awesome. That has happened a couple of times okay. to me when your st early stuff around conversational marketing, I was like, before you, when you guys got on board with Drift, that was amazing. And you were the first people to, you named the problem I had when you said marketing ops, mark ops, you need to look into this, whatever, the, I think it was marketing ops is the phrase. Um, so six and flow, not, not just being... Uh, a total suck up but there are I love looking at stuff from other sectors because there are a million copywriters out there and I can name several there's so anybody in UX I think is particularly interesting and I love looking at UX to see what's going on there's been some really cool stuff around storytelling coming out from a guy called Charles Burdett who does pit decks and the way he facilitates it I think that's really really cool um I love Harry from Marketing Examples and Copywriting Examples. He's really cool. Harry's, Just, Harry's coming on in a couple of weeks. Is he? Yes. Oh, you get all the good people. That's amazing. You're, you're um, in a steam company. I am in a steam company. Thank you for inviting me. It's lovely. <laughs> um, listen to random podcasts. So my inspiration would come from something random. Like I listened to something the other day on nuclear priesthood. So this is about, we put nuclear waste in a hole. It takes thousands of years to decay. We... Thousands of years later, we're not going to be speaking like this. This language will be defunct. We'll have a different way of communicating. How do we warn people that that nuclear is still there? And I'm, my mind's just going, oh, I think this is amazing, like how we communicate the foundations of communication. I love stuff like that to inspire how we might throw ideas out there to our clients. We might see something that's, um, we might have a different idea for a campaign that's not necessarily traditional content. It might be something else. Um, and then there was another podcast I was listening to, um, Sweet Bobby. It's like a, it's about identity theft. It's mind blowing, real life stuff. But listening to that and getting a cultural sense of what else might be going on in the world and the implications of what it is for somebody. And I love things like that. I find it really interesting. Um, That's some uh, some heavy, heavy themes there to kick back with. I know. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind cooking. I've got a podcast on when I'm cooking. <laughs> I'm so middle aged. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite question whenever we do these. What's your biggest career fuck up so far? The one thing that you learned the most from? 
Oh, there was there were many, Rich. Um, it took me three times to get Incredible right. The first time I used Fiverr. And I don't even really need to say any more than that, do I? I used Fiverr in my ignorance and it was awful. Is this for the branding? No, I used Fiverr for a copy content at scale. We needed to write so many oh. excellent blogs. And I remember yeah, the logo that like a dick. Sorry? I remember the logo that like a dick. That was my favorite. <gasps> I'll, I'll let my graphic designer know. Um, yes, it did. That's gone. Um, that wasn't my biggest fuck up, no, because only you saw it. <laughs> and it was a warped mind. Uh, the second time, I made no profit from it when I went to scale, but I used decent writers. And the third time, I cracked it. Um, but that was, I mean, that was a massive failure. The other thing is I've got really bad attention to detail, which is a terrible thing if you're a copywriter. So in my early days, I was putting out quite a lot of content that was shit. It was really, like, it might have read, you know, it sounded good. It had the right messages there. There were errors all over the place. So not knowing my weaknesses, not knowing I'm going to be bad at that. And I get actually, I can look back on my marketing career and I can see the same. Like, I, there were things that I did really badly because I'm not good at attention to detail. Uh, just bringing the right people around you can really balance that off. So I make sure there's a proof in my life all the time now because it's it's not a thing that I'm ever going to be good at. So third, third time lucky, like, getting the bit and like for all intents and purposes like from from the outside it looks like you're smashing it now how how does it like how have you continued going because it, it's like running a business like the highs and lows the lows when it's you at the top and feel really low and a massive kick in the nuts and it often feels like actually maybe i should go and work for somebody else oh, no. how how do you deal with that like how did you go past those down points to get to where you are now that's a really good question Thanks. i've always found, i've always had a coach which always helps me think about these things from a different perspective um i'm quite a proud person and i don't like giving up so some of the tenacity comes sheer sheerly down to stubbornness and i will not not do this and a little bit of that's what they, what, what else am I going to do? I, th I believe I'm deeply unemployable because I've got a, a range of weird skills that don't really fit anywhere within a normal um, marketing team. So it's almost that's what's kept me going. <laughs> Not that it's this or nothing, but that I've got to hold on to the, if I really get quiet and listen to myself, then there is some gold in this that I haven't yet discovered and I'm going to keep going until I do. Nice. I, uh, I am also stubborn as fuck and competitive as hell. And the things that drive me most are as soon as somebody tells me I can't do it. So you actually helped with, I don't know if you remember, but you helped me write the um, an award submission for the IOD. Um, I directed oh, the yeah. awards. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I went through and uh, did the panel interview. And they basically, they at the time I was only saying we were, next year we would grow to do like quarter of a million turnover and like we laid out all these plans and basically the entire panel sat there and went yeah you're absolutely not going to do that in this market and white with the plans you've laid out and i was just i remember being sat there going fucking watch me and uh, and, and we did and we won the award so that was good but like it, it's those little moments that i'm like uh, this is going to hurt but i'm absolutely going to do it and i also love having a pantomime villain so like somebody that you really need to be I know it's a terrible way to have uh, be enticed to it, but it, it's one of those things that just drives me. <laughs> so you have a pantomime villain that you use as like, explain that more to me. That sounds fascinating. 
so at different stages of the career, I won't I won't name them. Um, at different stages of our growth, there's been an individual, an agency, uh, uh, like a process, something that I felt like I needed to be or I needed to like best in some way. And okay. it's, I, I, it sounds really petty and I probably shouldn't have said this on a, a LinkedIn live, but that is probably one of my biggest drivers is my pantomime villains and my sense of uh, competitiveness and that's need so to win. Awesome. Yeah. But at the so, same time, I don't deal with loss very well. So that's probably why I keep going. <laughs> I hate losing. I hate losing as well. I don't, yeah. I'm competitive on a, on a, in a weird way, not so much with the outside world. Like there's an agency that I utterly admire. I think they're amazing. Don't want to be them though, because I feel like then I'd have to change who I am. And I want to, like, this pursuit of your potential and other people's potential, I feel like I need to be anchored to that. So it's an interesting driver. Com competitive though, in terms of like, if there's a race, I want to win it. If it's a physical race, I want to win it. Um, but if there's a race between me and another agency, I'm like, nah, all right. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say that either. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I had to take Strava. When I was cycling to work, I had to take Strava off of my handlebars because I used to like run red lights and things like that just to try and beat my own scores. I will compete <laughs> against myself in an own room if I have the opportunity to. Anyway, we're digressing. Hang on, <laughs> hang on, one question. Have you got a Peloton? Yes. Do you not do you not get really comfortable? And, and I, I yeah, so I uh, I got uh, it's okay to be impressed by this. I got my uh, a PB the other day in one of the the classes, and I beat a six year old woman in Florida to do that. And you know, I counted yes. that as a win. Well done. So, what are your plans for twenty twenty two for you and Incredible? We might be moving, maybe, but we might have been moving for like two years. Might go to Cheshire, but then at the weekend we were going to go to Cornwall. So who knows? Um, for the business, for the first time ever, we're actually putting some considerable edit into, uh, effort into our own marketing, which I'm quite excited about. Um, like old relationships and word of mouth have been brilliant and LinkedIn has done as well. But we're gonna, like, I'm gonna start working with a digital agency and really push it out there and really pump up the pipeline and reposition us from not just transactional content, although I don't believe anyone sees this as transactional, but it feels sometimes that we're not doing any of the think because I wanna do more of the think. It brings value to everybody and it's awesome. So that's that plan. Um, personally, yeah. Oh, and I have this idea that I might, it's, might, it's very innocent, but I'm going to mention it. Freelancers. So everyone's talking about going into the four-day work week and in the workplace, parental leave is a big deal. Nobody talks about it for freelancers. And I think it's a big question mark for a lot of people. So I'm starting to talk to some companies who, are, who have various communities and networks about talking about this sort of baby-proof business idea. How can a freelancer protect or ready their business for parental leave and what that looks like in various different countries i'm kind of passionate about it and a bit excited about it so it's very early days but that would be awesome to see that kind of how does that work how like and this is total ignorance how does that work though because to me yeah. the the benefit of freelancing is being the master of your own destiny you work when you want to work you can go after clients that that you want to work the downside to it and kind of like the trade-off is that you don't have that same security of being part of a, a business. So how do you how do you balance that? Like how does that possibly work? So that's my question, Mitch. I don't know. I've I do you save? Because in this country at least, it's 160 quid a week. Now if I get my business to a certain stage, then actually maybe that business can carry on. It's gonna pay me more than 160 a week, whether I'm working full time or not. But that's not the yeah. reality for some freelancers. And so this is the whole point of it. We've got, I want to know how people have dealt with it in, as a freelancer and in whether it's a sort of small business, whether it's distributed or not. 
are they living off savings? Is it the partner who is providing that money? How much time do they take off? And the hilarious thing is, baby-proof business, you don't know what your pregnancy is going to be like, your labor is going to be like, or your baby is going to be like. So how the hell can you proof anything? Like, and I, I am, one of the reasons I want to do it is because nobody can answer that question much. We don't know. So yeah, I want to figure it out, see what other people are doing, even maybe get community around it. It'd be quite interesting. Nice. It's a nice idea. Um, going back to your plans to bring in marketing, there's and focusing on yourselves for a bit, there's three like noticeable step changes that we've gone through as we've grown. The first is bringing in a dedicated salesperson. So historically, like I did our sales and I did our sales, like the networking, the sales, the like winning business and running the company. The problem with that is that you're driven in so many different ways that something inevitably falls down and you're never going to grow as fast or as well as you could. So we brought in a dedicated salesperson. The next was dedicated ops. So somebody who can actually focus on the business, the business running efficiently. I, I'm, I am a terrible ops person. Like that is, that is not my skill set. Um, and so we brought on somebody to handle that. And then the next step change is, and I'm talking about step changes, not just like positive changes. Every team member we bring in adds something else to the business and grows us in different ways. The next step change is bringing in dedicated marketing. So that would probably be our most recent step change. And it will have a dramatic impact on your business once you've actually got somebody who is um, focused on it. And you move away from that. What do they call it? The uh, the cobbler's cobbler's shoes, cobbler's oh, yeah. son. Yeah, whatever. Cobbler's shoes completely. So, yeah. Yeah. Because agencies are really shit at agencying themselves. Like if you do marketing, your marketing is probably going to be shit. Our web, we build websites. Our website, there's lots of broken stuff on it. Now, part of that is because we experiment with stuff, we break it. It is always the kind of the 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 poor relation in the like the process of stuff because we've got to focus on client stuff. But once you've got a dedicated marketing person in there, or or an agency or whatever you're going to go down. That will absolutely change your business because it will have it'll have a dramatic impact. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun to watch. It will be fun. Well. I'm really looking forward to that. When Rich, when you were doing all of the sales and all of that work before you got on the dedicated salesperson, did you find that people bought you or were they buying Six and Flow? It's a good question, actually. Um, and actually, so Joe, Joe Glover and I talk about have talked about this loads of times on the podcast. So both of us have businesses that are similar ages, very different businesses, very different stages of growth, but both were built around individuals. This is sound super egotistical, but when you start a business like I've started and he started, you are the face or voice of that co- company as you're growing. Now, where we are as a business now, we are transitioning away from me being the maybe so like more and more we're highlighting team members, senior team members, getting their voices out and making sure that they are involved in this stuff. And the, like this uh, Charlotte, who is our growth director, is a great example of that, where mm-hmm. she now owns a lot of those new business conversations. And I only get wheeled out for like technical stuff or when we get somebody who's like, I want to speak to the MD and the sales process to make sure that the company really understands who we are. And it's ridiculous sometimes because the people in the business are way better at their jobs than I am at stepping into their jobs. And that's so, but, but as a, as a business, like it's a noticeable transition, like a business like yours, like mine will be built on relationships and personalities to begin yeah. with. Yeah. But you will transition and you should transition because otherwise you're fucked. You'll never grow bigger than your capacity and your exposure. 
Well, that's now, it. If, if you can get to the point where you you can still start as you can still be the voice or face of the company, but you can also bring the rest of the foreground. They can build their relationships. They can then start to kind of push that forward. That's mm. where it gets exciting. That's where you start to get a lot of growth come through. That's really cool. Yeah, I was wondering because uh, we I interviewed a lot of clients last year, and it was what I was. And it does sound really egotistical, but I'm the reason they work with us. And I'm like, okay, that's great and awful at the same time. So there's something about that transition that will be interesting over the next year. I might come and buy you a coffee or a beer, and we can talk more about that. That would be useful. I'm, I'm trying to trying to drink for this, this quarter if I can, but yeah, whatever. I'm, I'll happily I'll happily have a coffee with you. Awesome. Um, all right, last question, mm-hmm. and it's a big one. What's next in growth? Where should people be focusing their effort? Okay. Um, I have like I have a dozen answers to this. <laughs> Half a dozen. Well, we've got eleven minutes, so one minute. Okay, I think I think there's something about owned content. I think is going to become increasingly easy. It, it, what increasingly do you mean by owned content? And content that you own that's on a platform you own, not on LinkedIn, okay. not on YouTube, not on Facebook, not on any of those other platforms that someone can switch off at any time. Something that you own that you are in control of, as well, along with you know you own your data, your clean, good quality data that's that's all legit. Own content, I think, because, you know, social media outage. We don't want another one of those. We don't, and I don't trust the fuckers, not being funny. Like, I think eventually, in many years to time, many years to come, uh, some of those really great big platforms are not going to be having the, holding the weight that they've got today, and we need a backup plan. So owned content, that would be my long-term thought. Nice. I like it. I agree. Cool. Helen, thanks for being for doing six sessions for me. If anyone wants to follow up with you, how do you want them to connect? Um, get me on LinkedIn. Drop me an email. Um, go to the website, incredible, gbs.co.uk. Um, and yeah, that would be awesome. Thanks so much for having me, Rich. It's been a blast. Pleasure. Nice to hang out. It's been a while. It's been a while. Thanks for joining <laughs> us, everybody. And we'll see you next week.